Today's a special day. We have, we have a guest speaker, and I, 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 I hate using the word guest because he's, he's kind of part of our family, honestly. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm a little bit rattled. And I, t- I told the crew on, on Friday, I told the crew on Friday that, that it feels like I moved out of my house and my dad's coming to visit for the first time. <laughs> so it's like, it's like I want to make sure like the, the house is in good shape. At least I'm not cooking, right? So, um, so, so no, but I mean, um, you know, our, 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 our lead pastor, Andrew Bird and his wife, Kelly, they're here um, coming from main campus. They're, they're the ones, guys, they're, they're the, the brains behind the entire operation. He is currently our, our, our lead pastor in the main campus, pretty much the lead pastor of all the, the, the whole network of Greater Life Church and the different campuses that we have. And I, I've been under his ministry for over seven years now, and it's been blessing after blessing, adventure after adventure, and it's been amazing. I, I've seen God do some amazing things. I am just so honored and thankful to be here, and I know we're in for a treat. So would you put your hands together for our pastor, Pastor Andrew Bird, as he shares a word this morning. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me come out here and uh, share the word today. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm excited uh, because what I see is what I saw in 2012 at Bain Elementary School in Mint Hill. And I'm excited with anticipation of what God is going to do in Waxhaw. And I can't wait to see it unfold. Amen? Amen. We're going to have a great time today. So uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32 and chapter 33. But I've got some passages of Scripture I'll be pulling from that passage. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Help us to lean into your word, to receive what you want us to understand to take in, may our hearts be softened right now, to be changed from the inside out. May your blessing and your anointing rest in this place. For this is a house of worship at this moment. May that presence and that atmosphere linger even into the school week as these teachers and students return. May this be a work so special that there is a draw to this very place from folks all over this community. Lord, allow us to be good stewards of our time today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Am I in the light correctly? Okay. Americans are, I don't want to say good at waiting, but Americans have to wait. 20 minutes a day on average in a bus or train, Americans are waiting. 32 minutes whenever they visit a doctor, 28 minutes waiting in security lines whenever they travel, Americans are waiting. Americans wait 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. (laughs) Many Americans spend 13 hours annually holding on customer service. We all know that song. Too well. American commuters, now I'm talking to Waxhaw. Many of you guys will relate to this. Spend 38 hours each year waiting in traffic on what road? 16. 
<laughs> it's your own fault you moved out here. <laughs> Did nobody make you move out here? <laughs> Americans spend 37 billion hours of waiting in line, according to the New York Times. All of this waiting and still, we feel like we don't have enough time for anything. The question today is not, will we wait? We will wait. But what do we do when we have to wait? We've all heard that patience is a virtue, and that's very, very true. But more importantly, it only became a virtue because it, it was first a fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Let me remind you that every good idea comes from the Scriptures. It's hijacked sometimes and manipulated and turned, but it comes from the Word of God. In our series, we've been looking at this covered idea. We've been looking at the covering that's given when we walk in obedience with the Lord. We've been looking at what leadership looks like when we are covered by God. What provision looks like when we're covered by God. What the glory of God and the wonder of it all looks like when we're covered by God. We've looked at Israel as they're in the wilderness, traveling from their slavery to their promise. And yet there's always a waiting in between. Many of us have waited for many things. You may be here today waiting for God to do something you've been praying for for years and years and years. At the beginning of this year, I wrote down three promises that I was asking God to bring to fruition in this year. I'm happy to tell you that in the past 10 days, two of those promises came to pass in miraculous fashion in ways that I did not expect or imagine because if it was my idea, it wouldn't be God's idea. Amen? In my own ministry life, I have looked back at the timeline and how God has done amazing things through me and even in spite of me. Because I've made many mistakes in my life. I want to encourage you that God wants to accomplish great things in and through you. God has a habit of using people in such a way where there can be no question that it was only God that could have done it. And if you have a testimony of that, if you have a, a sense that you know what I'm talking about, that, that, that I have a past that I shouldn't even be here today, that I've made some stupid mistakes in my life, that God shouldn't use me. There's so many other more qualified. But can I tell you, friend, that's why he wants to use you. Because he wants to show off his glory. Because it ain't about us. It's about him in us. Amen about the Holy Spirit moving and working through those that are underqualified but anointed. Israel finds themselves in Exodus chapter 24. Moses is now at the top of the mountain receiving instructions of the law, when see, receiving the words to live by from God himself, God inscribing on these tablets of stone. He is literally giving Moses the word, the words of life. When we read the layout of Scripture, we find Israel coming out of Egypt, and then we find them coming to Mount Sinai, and then we find a pause in the narrative of what's happening for the Israelites. 
And there's about five chapters there that it is explained what God is saying to Moses. Things like instructions of worship and the laws and the different things that they were to live by. And then we catch up on the other side and the scriptures lay out in chapter 22 while Moses is up there getting the word of God. Israel's down at the bottom of the mountain being stupid. You see, what happens at the bottom of the mountain is sin and tragedy. Friends, it's not about will you wait, it's about what will you do while you wait. Well, the Israelites got restless. The Israelites found things to do that they shouldn't be doing. And that's what our message is here today. The five words that will describe the timeline and the recovery of Israel at Mount Sinai. Let me stay from the onset that we're going to look at the terrible things and choices that they did and that they made, but at the end of it all, God is still God, and even in spite of our shortcomings, He can accomplish great things. That is the encouragement of the day today. That even though when you flush the toilets in those bathrooms over there, you can hear them over here, God can still do a great church right here in this room. I remember in the early days of Mint Hill uh, Community Church, as it was called then, we showed up one summer for services, and the First Impressions team caught me before I came in. Pastor, the toilet won't flush. What do we do? Close off the bathroom? No. They'll flush it Monday. Let's just have church. Listen, we were paying good money for that rental, man. <laughs> Get some buckets, let's make it happen. Anyway, number one, if you're taking notes, and I know none of you are because you don't care what I have to say, you'll forget it right after service like I do. <laughs> At the Mexican restaurant today, you're not talking about what we talked about here. I know. But let's talk about it anyway. Amen. Number one, impatience, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1 through 6. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses. Now, I, I've got to be really careful because I really want to say Moses every time I say. <laughs> when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. He was also designated as the, as the high priest that the Lord had called him to. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into a shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning, 
to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, I don't need to explain in detail what was actually going on, but I can tell you that they were doing what they had learned from the Egyptians. That the way the Egyptians worshipped their God, the Israelites were mimicking this activity because they had not yet learned and understood what it was like to worship the one true God. So I'm extending a little bit of grace, but I'm also saying they're incredibly foolish because Moses, we know, was only at the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. But it seemed like a lifetime to the Israelites. One of the verses that I found was kind of odd. It says, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So the entire family was adorned with jewelry because we understand that when they left Egypt, the Egyptians gave them all their stuff, their gold. They plundered Egypt. And so even the three-year-old in the family had rings on five fingers. But this was the reality that they had. And instead of taking them and using them for what God had ordained them to, they gave them to Aaron to build this false god. Earrings in ancient Egypt represented Egyptian gods. Many of you may even have earrings on today. It's a cross or it's a this or it's a flower or it's a tree. But all of the earrings in ancient Egypt, archaeologists have found, represented the gods of Egypt. So they were literally wearing idols that pointed to the gods of Egypt. However, they were quick to give it up. Why? Because someone who has something's faults is willing to give it up quickly for something else's faults. There are people in our society today desperate for the truth and desperate for life, and they jump from one thing to another, desperately trying to find that truth. And it's a dead end after it's a dead end after it's a dead end. And just so you know that the gospel is not false, we can indicate and we can understand that because the way the apostles acted in the early church. They did not give it up so quickly. As a matter of fact, they died for their faith. As a ma- there's a, a story where many are deserting Jesus, and Jesus turns to the disciples and said, aren't you going to leave me too? And Peter said this, where will we go? You are the one with the words of life. So I can tell you whether there's 20 people in a room or 2,000, the understanding is that the gospel is powerful and it changes people. We have the truth. Our challenge is helping people find that truth as they're moving from falsehood and idol to idol. Can we position ourselves at an elementary school in Waxhaw to capture them at their next rotation, to give them the truth that lasts, the truth that sets them free. So we find the Israelites giving this up and worshiping this one true God. We find Aaron who went to church but didn't go to prayer meeting. In Exodus chapter 24, Aaron is at the top of the mountain and the Bible says he is having a meal in the presence of God. The very throne of God is revealed to Aaron and the elders of Israel. They're eating at the throne. And yet, it didn't take them long to forget 
the powerful, almighty presence of God. Sacrifice it for the excitement of the people. See, he built an altar when he saw the people liked what he was doing. And can I tell you that this preacher and that preacher and preachers that are truly committed to the preaching of the gospel, we don't do it because it makes people excited. We do it because God has called us to do it. There are many churches that are growing incredibly fast because there's been a compromise of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God is a pick and choose. The Bible is not a goodwill of things left over. It is an eternal word that changes us from the inside out. We cannot compromise the message. We see here that Aaron sets this thing up. Maybe, maybe Aaron was bitter because he didn't get to stay on the mountain. You see, Moses said, hey, Aaron and her, you guys go down and babysit the people. But it was way more than babysitting. It was go make sure they don't do anything crazy. (laughs) And Aaron became the flag bearer of crazy. Yeah, bring me your earrings, I'll make you a god, we'll dance around and do pagan revelry, which, can I just say, pagan revelry was bad stuff. They were going absolutely nuts at the bottom of the mountain. (laughs) The crazy thing is, is they could see the presence of God at the top of the mountain. Sometimes we're blinded to God's goodness because we're so caught up in our flesh and what our flesh wants. So Aaron, is maybe he's bitter that he didn't get chosen to stay at the top of the mountain. So he's quick to provide this. In Numbers chapter 12, 1, it actually says that Aaron rebelled against Moses and was talking smack about him. That there was something in Aaron's heart that conflicted with Moses' leadership. It's a disease. It's a disease in the children of Israel then. It's a disease in the church today. Aaron did this but seemed to only see it as an assignment. His assignment to babysit the people was just that. It wasn't his calling. It wasn't his anointing. It was his assignment from Moses, not from God. You see what I'm saying? And so he looked at that with bitterness in his heart and was quick to change the assignment on his own. In Numbers 12, 8, God brings this this warning to Aaron. Aaron, why were you not scared to speak about the servant of the Lord? Why, Why were you not fearful to talk about my servant Moses? Well, in Numbers, we see that because Aaron was quick to bring worship to a calf that he made, he led the people to miss the glory of God at the mountaintop. That was their impatience. Number two, intercession. Be careful, friends, because Aaron is leading them astray, but Moses was standing in the gap. Exodus chapter 32, beginning in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly have they turned away from the way I commanded them to live? They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I don't know, but I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, and it doesn't change the context or the 
the, the power of the message. But the Bible tells us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That there is a personhood and a personality to the Lord. Sometimes we feel the Creator is just that, a Creator that's far off from us, but there's no personality. I almost read this and I hear the pain in God's voice. I, I, I just rescued them and now they're saying that that is their God. This is the epitome of backstabbing. This is also God who knows that one day Christ himself will die for that sin. And yet, the love that flows from the Lord. Moses, please go get your people. <laughs> and the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now, leave, leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. I will destroy them. God is saying this. Then, I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. I'm going to explain some of this in just a moment. Oh, Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people, which you brought out of Egypt such, with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with evil intentions of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them off of the face of the earth? Turn away your fierce anger, Moses is saying. Change your mind about this terrible disaster. You have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all this land as promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. The Lord changed his mind. Can I tell you, this messes with a lot of people. God changed his mind? God changed his mind. The true scripture shows us the words relented. Relented. It still has this idea of a mind changing, but let me remind you that the, all, that the entirety of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus is our intercessor. God says how quickly they turned away. They just said we will do everything the Lord commanded. Moses' intercession, however, was temporary, but our Lord's is everlasting. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 1 John 2, 1. Jesus is right now at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Romans 8, 34. Jesus always lives to intercede. Hebrews 7, 25. Everything in the Old Testament points to our relationship with Jesus. So we read it and they say, wait a minute, God changed his mind. And I read it now and I say, wait, God is proving a point. That Moses is an intercessor. An image, a picture, a shadow even of what Jesus will be for all eternity. See what I'm saying? There's other passages that it talks about Abraham and even the Philistines in one passage. It says, there is many as sand in the seashore where they aren't as many as sand in the seashore. It was just a saying to prove a point. Because we find God relenting against Nineveh when Jonah went and brought the word of truth, of repentance to them. 
Another passage that messes with us when we look at intercession, as Moses is interceding, there's a testing of Moses' resolve right here. God is almost saying, Moses, are you in it? Really? Because I'm going to give you an out. It would be easier for you to come over here, and I'll, I'll just start over with you. And Moses says, no, no, I'm committed to this. You called me to this, I'm committed to this. Later we find Moses saying, hey, can you just destroy all these people and start over with me like we talked about earlier? <laughs> and God is saying, wait a minute, no, you're not getting out of it, you got to do it. So what I want you to understand is that we serve a God who does not lie and does not change his mind. But we also serve a God who is so wise and so amazing that we can learn that Moses interceded like Jesus is interceding for me and for you today. Let us be a church who prays prayers of love and mercy, not judgment and destruction. Can we take a step back for just a minute and not make that sin worse than that sin? Can we take a step back and just for just a minute and, and look at our politics and look at our nation and look at those that are dying and going to hell every single day and not judge them, but love them? Number three, intervention. Exodus chapter 32, beginning in verse 15. We see here Moses comes down the mountain. Now I'm going to use this to make your life and mine easier. I tried. I was expecting healing to happen at any moment. And God is saying, I gave you healing. It's called glasses. All right. Yes, Lord. Chapter 32, verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it is not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, this is, this is good, pay attention. What did these people do to you? <laughs> to make you bring such terrible sin upon them. Don't get so upset, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. Y'all catch that? It's, it's, it's the sin of, of the Garden of Eden all over again. Adam, the woman you gave me, you know, she ate of the fruit. And, and Eve is like, well, <laughs> the serpent, you know. And so it's the sin of blame here. Aaron says, you know how these people are? Idiots. They said, you yourself know how these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. So I told them, 
whoever has gold jewelry and he so on and he brings that to their attention, tells the story again. Intervention. Can I just tell you that God forgives, but the consequences of sin are still there? So, so we see here that Moses comes down. He's angry. He smashes the tablets of stone. And even though he was praying just then, he was praying for mercy. He was interceding to the Lord on their behalf. He came down and dealt with them severely. There was a consequence to their sin. Sometimes we may escape the wrath of God or even death, but we got to pay for that speeding ticket. We got to go through that rough patch in our marriage. We have to suffer the heartache of a choice that we made or an action that we did or maybe even someone else to us. Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Why does God not keep the child from being abused by the abuser? I don't know. He's sovereign. But what I do know is that it is sin and the enemy and the devil to blame. So many times we blame God and skip over the fact that it's the devil. Why is there so much pain in the world? Cancer, sickness, disease, abuse. Because of sin. And the one who wants to destroy our souls. God did everything he could. He sent his only son to save us for eternity. But the consequences of sin are still with us today. There was a line in the sand that was drawn at this moment. Moses commissioned the Levites later in this passage of Scripture. The Levites were devoted and servants of the Lord. They did not bow the knee to the false god, and he called them. Either you're on my side or you're on the side of those who worship this idol. And there was a time, a demanding, a reckoning that happened. Number four, internal. Internal. I love this passage. I hope if there were any that this would resonate with you today. Chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Well, y'all want, want me to wipe off the sweat or something? If I had an armor bearer, I'd have, I'd have napkins up here already. Thank you, Kelly. Give it up for Kelly, my armor bearer. Listen, I preached in, uh, we have, one, we have a, a campus in East Charlotte and. um a guy there is named Anthony. It's a primarily a black church, and I preached in his church years and years ago. And uh, I had an armor bearer, and I was praying for people at the altar, and I was sweating like I am right now, you know. And it's not because I'm nervous or I, I'm under conviction, by the way. It's just uh, <laughs> I was sweating, and, and 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 I was just praying real hard, and all of a sudden I felt. And I opened my eyes and I looked, and this brother was right beside me, just dabbing like, man, this is amazing. Anyway, I've been commissioning for an armor bearer at my church, and I just can't get nobody to sign up. Oh, thank you, Kelly. Intervention. We just did that one. Internal. Internal. Uh, chapter 33, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people who 
you brought up from the land of Egypt. And I will send an angel before you to drive out your enemies, go up to the land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. Now this looks mean, but God is giving them mercy. Because of the experiences that have already happened, God is saying, listen, I'm going to let you travel on your own and trust you with my servant Moses, and then when you get to where you need to be, I will show up. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Listen, there was an internal change right here after this experience. But the internal change showed up on the external. If you could just picture for a minute, something dawned on me that the Israelites were marching out of Egypt and they looked like Egyptians. They were dressed in fine clothes. They were wearing jewelry because the Egyptians had given them all of these things. They looked, acted as we just saw, they worshipped idols like the Egyptians. God's number one assignment for Moses was we have got to get these people out of Egypt, but most importantly, we got to get Egypt out of them. If I am to have a people, if I am to be a God of this nation, if they are to be set apart and unique unlike any other nation, then I have got to remove Egypt out of their hearts. And so we find them upset, grieving even repentant, where they begin to actually look the part of the nation of Israel, not of the nation of Egypt of which they had been saved. You won't find anybody in their right mind in the Dean Dome with a Duke t-shirt on. Right? So you, you, God bless you, sister. There's a lot of great churches in the area. <laughs> Moises is like, no! <laughs> but it's the idea, it's the loyalty. They still dress like they were on Team Egypt. So yeah, they were in a different place, but their hearts were still in Egypt. And that is why they kept saying, can we just go back to Egypt? It was easier there being a slave. But there was an internal change that happened, that God began to transform their hearts. And now we get to the good part. Up to this point, we've seen them make a mistake and be dealt with severely with the grinding down of the calf. We've seen the judgment that happened in their life, the consequences of their sin. And now we see that in verse 33, there's an intensity Number five, intense. In chapter 33, rather, verse 12, 
What I see here is that God has not forgotten about them. Yes, he's created some distance. Yes, he's made some different laws and rules in the way that they will operate traveling forward. But in verse 12, we see one day that Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name. I look favorably upon you. If it is true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Moses again interceding and praying. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me? on me and on your people if you don't go with us for your presence. Say presence. Here we are. Your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied, I will indeed do what you have asked for I look favorably upon you and I know you by name. And Moses responded, then show me your You see, Moses knew that to go without God was not something he wanted to endeavor to do. I remember two months ago when we prayed over this precious couple, Moises and Rosie, and, and prayed on, on the launch, uh, over the launch team that came out here. And, and we prayed more than anything, God, may your presence be with them. May you do something miraculous in Waxhaw. May you change hearts and lives. Moses was saying, don't send us without you. Moses was asking the question, who will go with me? And God says, I will. Can I tell you, to be on team Jesus is the only one that you need. He is your help in a time of struggle. He anoints you from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prepares you. He calls you. He provides. You. A walk with the Lord is discovered in a most intense place in a personal level. God's promise to go with Moses and Moses' desperate plea for the Lord to stay near him on this journey was one of the greatest displays of power and presence. We keep reading and he says, show me your glory. And the Bible tells us that God passed by so he could see his glory. Moses knew that the proof of Israel's blessing was nothing other than God's presence with them. They could not, they would not succeed in their promise and in this covering. They would not be covered without the presence of the Lord. Certainly Moses had, had great success. But all of that counted for nothing without the presence of God. The mercy and the goodness of the name of the Lord was shown again and again to Moses and to Israel. The greatest testimony happens right here in this passage of Scripture in chapter 34. That even though there were great mistakes, even though many things went wrong, God gave him another copy of the law. 
Come back up here, Moses. Let's run it back. Let's do it again. We used to call it do-over in kickball on the playground. There were some very ambiguous rules about do-over. And I would take advantage of every single one. You see, that is God's mercy that He gave them the law again. That is God's mercy that even though Jonah ran, he got spit up on the shore and then God called him again. That is God's mercy that Peter said as he's talking to Jesus and talking about him being, uh, Jesus is explaining to him, I've got to die. And he rebukes and says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. And yet, he calls him his rock. And he calls him again. Again and again in my own life, I've let God down, but he's called me again. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And if he can use me, he can use you. Your past is your platform for God's glory. If God could do this in the early 1900s in early America, in California of all places, and bring revival. If he could do it in the 70s with this new uh, movie that we're watching called Jesus Revolution, again, in California of all places. I like to think in North Carolina, we might be a couple of steps ahead, so we might be able to see a revival happen. Amen? A young man named Billy Graham set up a ministry in our very own state. Its headquarters is in Charlotte and saw millions and millions and millions of lives changed from the inside out. If God did it then, he can do it again. If he changed it for Israel and he gave them the law again, he can touch us in a way that will amaze us all. If he took this preacher and plopped them down in an elementary school in Mint Hill, and 10 years later, We're seeing so many great things that God can do it again in Waxhaw. He can do it with you. One of the the things I remember saying often that I'll share with you is that you want to be a part of this right now because you're going to be the people that's going to look back and say, remember when we were in the elementary school? (laughs) Remember when we didn't have a building? Remember when we only had a handful of folks? Remember when? I I like, for me personally, I like being a part of the remember when, not show up when everything happens. Amen? You can be the remember when. You can be the people that are a part of building something that will last. I sent a text to one of our campus pastors the other day. And I believe this here, and I believe it I believe it in our Espanol and in our churches in India. I believe it everywhere. I believe that God, should the Lord tarry and give us time that we are building churches that are going to be generational in nature, that we start them and God uses them for decades to come if our assignment is still upon this earth. So long after Moises is gone, I believe that this church is still going to be changing lives, should the Lord tarry. Do you want to be a part of the Remember When gang? the ones that are aggravating the new worship leader that's singing the new songs and choking on the fog that comes from the stage. It'll be something different later, but do you want to be a part of the, I'm 90 years old this this year, Pastor. I remember when. I can't wait. 
to fuss at people from the remember when. When I'm running the senior adults ministry and don't y'all remember when? It's going to be a badge of honor. And doggone it, I'm not going to make it easy on them either. I get sidetracked from time to time. But my prayer is, God, do it again. Do it here. This town needs an anointed, spirit-filled work that can change this entire community. The problem we find so often is that churches have forgotten about the power of the gospel that is the Holy Spirit and moving and working within our hearts. Exodus chapter 34, here's the question. I'll leave you today and I'm done. Is it evident that you have been in the presence of God? Is it evident that you have been in the presence of God? Exodus 34. We see Moses in in verse 29 come down from Mount Sinai carrying two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. This is the second copy. There was, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him. And Moses gave them all the instructions of the Lord he had been given on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he covered, the face, uh, he covered his face with a veil. Here's the important part. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would have removed that veil and come out again. Verse 35, and the people of Israel would see a radiant glow upon his face. You see, because when he found himself in the presence of God, something changed. Something lasted. People knew he had been with the Lord. My question to you, Greater Life Waxhaw, is do people know that the presence of God lives here? Do people know that you've spent time in the presence of God? Is your relationship with the Lord just something you do on Sunday, or are you truly committed? to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, this story is full of ups and downs. Full of mistakes, but also full of your mercy. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity just to be here today. And I pray, God, that right now, within the hearts of everyone in this room, that there would be a deep sense of urgency and motivation to know that every street corner in this community, that every restaurant that right now is beginning to fill up in Waxhaw, in that little downtown area, that there are hundreds of people that don't know you. And there are many in this community that have experienced religion, but they've never experienced a relationship. So, Lord, equip, empower, and anoint 
May you do what only you can do in this house in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you.